This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, we have a recorded interview between Trine Senior Sport Management Major, Dylan Barron, and Detroit Pistons Inside Sales Representative, Andy Myers. Andy discusses his new career in ticket sales with the Pistons and how he landed a job in sports during the coronavirus pandemic. I hope you enjoy. Uh, Hey, Andy, thank you for joining me today. Um, My first question for you is, how did you get into sales? That's a very, now this is probably going to be a very long answer. I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to do sales probably until a year and a half before graduation. So I took a year off to do an internship with the University of Toledo, had my own apartment, you know, first taste of, you know, living on my own and it was unpaid. So I had to, you know, find a way to pay bills, get by. So I was a bartender and a server. And I had a couple job opportunities just doing that, you know, just serving people. People actually just offer me jobs in sales and telling me how, you know, I would be really good at it. Didn't really think too much of it. December of 2018, probably about midway through that internship, Professor Podgorski allowed me to do uh, an immersion trip to Detroit. And at that point, we're interviewing or doing a job shadow with Brandon Goble, who's a group sales rep. And I was really the only person that did research before the event and definitely went in there with the purpose of separating myself from the other people. If a hundred questions were asked, I probably asked 85 to 90 of them. So, you know, he definitely knew who I was. Um, After that, I followed up with him, thanked him for his time and asked if I could just do another, you know, one-on-one with him, you know, 30 minutes to pick his brain. And so that would have been spring of 2019. It ended up in March. Um, right around that same time, a guy named Nathan Watson, who's a former Trine grad, uh, he did a opportunity with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants and won their sales competition. And I just saw on LinkedIn, he accepted a job with Indianapolis Colts. Uh, so right then and there, I pretty much kind of knew that right, this might be the route that I want to take. And so from right then and there, I started prepping for that class an entire year ahead in advance. So that way, when I started it, there was not a chance that anyone was going to be able to compete with me. So when that class started, I already had 50 to 60 places that I could contact and just hit the ground rolling. So from there, mid-March, saw on LinkedIn, Nathan accepted a job with the Colts. That was a little motivation. And then Brandon actually gave me not a half an hour, but he gave me two hours of his time in the middle of the week to actually, you know, for me to pick his brain. And we talked about everything from working in sports. For me, you know, at the time I had a three-year relationship, now fiance, you know, what's that work-life balance? How do I actually develop that? Everything was, was, everything was on the table and it was a complete open book, which I appreciated. And for those of you guys who don't know, two hours in sales, you can make a lot of calls um, in two hours. So him giving me that much time um, meant a lot. Right then and there, I pretty much knew, all right, sales is the route I want to go. Now it's just a matter of how do I get an opportunity? Fast forward to fall of 2019, you know, entering my senior year, my goal was to have uh, a job locked in by Christmas or New Year's. So I started reaching out to anyone and everyone that I've ever networked with asking for job opportunities. And so 
uh, Brandon got back with me. He gave me the contact information of a guy named David Felt, and he he referred me. Uh, David um, invited me out to a networking event. In his mind, he probably gets a million and one of these people contacting him, asking for an opportunity. This is probably just another kid and get another 60 bucks for this group event. Um, yeah. I ended up paying another $60 for parking. So $120 in the hole. The odds of anything coming out of this, in my, in my mind, very, very slim. Um, yeah. But still got to play the game. Yeah. So I actually took a day off of school, went up there for the um, networking event. And it was very different. Um, there were people from my age, you know, still in college, all the way up to 40, 45 years old, you know, trying to change career paths and break into sports. There was probably about 200 people there and there were probably about 10 to 12 speakers. And so you essentially had 30 seconds to a minute to elevator pitch yourself to whoever you wanted. Um, just because the line was insane. David asked me one question and he said, so you drove all the way from Fort Wayne, Indiana to here for this event. And I was like, yes, I didn't necessarily think my elevator pitch was really like anything amazing. Just wanted to introduce myself and start that relationship and see, you know, what kind of opportunities you guys had. And then I told him a little bit about everything that I've been doing and why I want to break into sales. That was on a Friday, Saturday morning. He sent me an email inviting me out to a sales combine um, in early December. So I have about a month for that interview. And when he sent me that email, he CC'd five people on the email, okay? And this is just a little trick um, that I've told a lot of people as far as, you know, how to kind of separate yourself in an interview, even mm -hmm. if you have very little experience. So at this time, outside of one class at Trine and then being a bartender and server, I have zero sales experience, okay? Mm -hmm. So I know going into that, there are going to be people there that have probably done ticketing internships with former teams and they probably have a leg up on me and have a little more background information that might make them on paper a little better candidate. So how do I separate myself? Well, I've always had an insane work ethic. No one is ever going to outwork me. And so that's what I went in with. So when he CC'd those five people on that email, I looked all of them up and they were all people within the organization in uh, leadership roles. So either A, it was going to be a big group interview or B, one of them was going to interview me one-on-one. -on -one. And so I wanted to prepare myself for every possible scenario. So I spent probably two to three hours on each person over the course of a week. This wasn't, you know, like, you know, straight and found out as much information on every single uh, person as possible and the company and actually did a one-on-one -on -one with David, who is the hiring manager. And then also Amber McQuasniak, um, who's former trying grad, just to kind of pick their brain in for advice. I'm really glad I did that because I really started to develop an, an understanding of their entire company and how it runs. Mm -hmm. um, and then I used that in the interview process and I displayed my understanding of everything. You know, probably a sheet of paper on each person going into it. December 2nd hit, got to the front office maybe an hour beforehand. You know, I'm waiting in the garage feeling like I'm going to throw up. I got sweaty palms. You know, I'm interviewing with a major professional franchise. Eventually, you know, 15 minutes before I just, all right, Andy, you know, take a deep breath. You got this, you prepared for it. There's nothing else you can do. Um, you know, live with the results. And so, uh, one in there, there was probably about 15 other people. There was a different sales combine the previous day with another about 15. So I was probably competing with about 30 people to give you an idea. It is much better to get a referral from someone. And this is the importance of networking 
uh, as opposed to doing teamwork online where you have, you know, a thousand and one people applying. So David, you know, when we we're all in there, it said that 700 people had applied for this job and UIs are down pretty much down to the final 30. Okay. Yep. So that was, you know, a little shock. You know, I, I didn't even apply for the inside sales job. I just mm-hmm. networked, talked with Brandon. Brandon got me in contact with David and we went from there. So that just kind of shows the importance of actually, you know, meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, uh, they kind of gave us a you know, brief overview of everything that was going on that day. It wasn't necessarily, you know, sales combine. You think that they're going to be like testing your ability on the phones. And that's, I actually prepped a little bit for that. Um, mm-hmm. just cause you know, if they put me on the phones, I've, I don't never, I don't have any training, no experience. I'm probably going to be horrible. And then yeah. there goes my chance. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually wasn't the case. It was more of a way for them to just be able to interview people right off the bat again and again and again. So now they can just start comparing, um, right away as opposed to interviewing Andy one week, interviewing Brandon five days later and interviewing Dylan, you know, two weeks later, and then mm-hmm. maybe they forget something. So it's just a way to just speed up their, their hiring process. It was one guy, his name was Dean who pulled me in for an interview. I was the second one taken back. Typically the interviews just after I left mine, they were lasting about 15 minutes max. Mm-hmm. My interview with Dean lasted 40 minutes. Um, the longer your interviews go, the more questions you have and the more prepared you are, um, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to set yourself apart. Yep. So while I was in that interview, we definitely hit it off right away. We just started chatting. It was very laid back. It was he didn't necessarily make me feel like, um, you know, this is like a huge thing. And so at the end of the interview, he asked me, Andy, why should we hire you as opposed to the other 30 candidates that are actually looking to get this job? And I said, Dean, um, you probably have about 29 other people that have more experience in sales than me, but not a single one of them is going to outwork me. They might be better than me from month one to month three or four or five. But come month 9, 10, 11, 12, I'm going to be running circles around them because they're not even going to touch me as how hard I'm going to work. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just flipped my paper around. I said, Dean, this is, I essentially turned this into um, you into a prospect. Um, this is all the information I have on you. Let me know if I have anything wrong. And he went all the way down the list. He probably spent about 45 seconds. He got all the way down at the bottom and it had his dog's name on there. So that's, that was probably a little, uh, a little aggressive, a little much to go that deep. Um, but it just showed, you know, how much I genuinely cared and genuinely wanted this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, as soon as I did that, he told me, Andy, I'm going to be pounding the table for you. Um, this was, my interview was on a Sunday. He said, you could have, uh, an offer tomorrow morning. Now that wasn't necessarily the case just to give you an idea as far as what the hiring process sometimes looks like. So Dean is going to go talk to David, who's the hiring manager. He makes the final decision. Dean Mm -hmm. is essentially just there lobbying for me. Now, even if Dean gets David to say, all right, yeah, let's, let's hire him. I do not necessarily have the in yet because Mm -hmm. that was the case. Um, David wanted to, and he was excited to have me, but they didn't necessarily have the amount of positions open. So I was graduating in May, going to be starting in June. They had a, they had some positions open for January. So HR was only allowing them to fill the positions for January just yet. Um, they weren't allowing them to send official offer letters out for um, the June positions. Mm-hmm. So I had to wait a little bit. A person in the interview asked, you know, what were the next steps? And he said, you know, we'll probably have more information in about two weeks. So right around there, I just flat out called David straight up um, and just kind of, you know, picked his brain and see where things stood. Um, he just re- 
confirmed everything. Andy, we, we love you. You know, we have no doubt that you're going to work hard and we actually, we want you. Um, we just kind of, ha- we're waiting on HR. So the hiring manager can say yes or no, but the, he has to work with HR. HR can't say no to you, but they, well, they, HR can't say yes, but HR can say no. Um, by pretty much limiting the amount of positions the hiring manager can actually hire. Mm-hmm. So it was more of an HR thing for me. It got to mid January and, you know, I'm already past my deadline as far as me wanting a job. So yep. I needed to start looking in other directions just in case it fell through. So I started the interview process and got to the third round of interviews for the Colts and actually got invited out to their sales combine. From what I heard from past people that went through it and from what I heard from a couple of people that were also there later on, um, it was kind of interesting. It was definitely, that one ran a little different from what I heard. I actually didn't go to it, but they were actually testing people, putting people on the phones or doing like mock calls and stuff like that. Um, so definitely do your research if you ever have that opportunity and kind of figure out, you know, what exactly your day is going to look like before you get there. Yep. Um, the reason why I didn't go to it, uh, late January, um, I actually officially got my offer letter um, from the Pistons and they wanted my answer within two weeks. Um, my interview with the Colts was about three weeks out. So I couldn't necessarily say no to the Pistons just for a maybe and for a chance at the Colts. And yeah. honestly, even if the Colts had offered me something and I had both offers on the table, I was still probably going to go with the Pistons because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if I touched on this earlier, they were selling themselves to me just as much as I was trying to sell myself to them, which went a long way to, for me. Another big thing is that what probably saved me, I heard from a couple other people, um, that I've networked with where they are, they had offers from teams, but they don't have a job right now because they were just verbal offers. So the Pistons actually sent me a physical letter that I had to sign that was a contract for one year in inside sales. I signed it, sent it back. That is probably what saved me and why I still have a job right now, because we all know what happened in March. Well, yeah. a lot of teams just rescinded those offers or um, the ones that were verbal. And so for us, we just went on a hiring freeze. David was still trying to hire probably about six more uh, inside sales reps for um, June. Uh, There were only four of us um, full time for the whole year. And then he hired two uh, interns that were just over the summer. So that's what I did as far as that was a very long winded. Oh, you're good. Going to my next question, aside from COVID and dealing with that, what has been your most challenging like thing to deal with in sales? Like what's been the most challenging for you? I would say I'm going to touch on three things. First thing, just from a sales aspect, trying to balance being, you know, aggressive. You know, this is a bottom line business. It's about driving revenue um, Mm -hmm. and being aggressive and actually going for the sale. Um, But also trying to balance that and have an understanding that, you know, this is COVID-19. People are going through some hard times right now. The Pistons might not even be on their mind. That could be the furthest thing away from their mind. I've had conversations with people where they're dealing with loss. Um, And so it's really trying to balance the empathetic side um, and really just starting to build these relationships. And, you know, maybe this might turn into something, you know, three, four, five months down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also trying to balance that when to be aggressive and actually try and go for the sale. So just from a sales aspect, that has been the, um, I guess, biggest struggle. From a developmental standpoint, you know, I'm, I've only been in, inside sales for four months. Um, yeah. I'm far from a finished product. Um, so from a day-to-day aspect and just starting your career, um, and this would be advice for anybody, 
is a just giving feedback as you guys can see right now i'm working from home and i've been working from home every single day since uh june 1st when i started so i have a, a desk with my name on it but i've never i've seen said desk once and that was just to go into the office to get my picture taken um i've never worked from there um and so when i'm working from home Typically in inside sales, you know, you're around, you know, three or four other people really close to you and they can just listen to your calls, give you some feedback. My mm -hmm. desk is actually right across the table from David. And so David can listen to my calls and give me feedback. Um, I don't really have anyone over my shoulders saying, Hey Andy, that was a really good call. Um, keep doing that. You know, that's, you're on the right track or say, Hey Andy, you know, that's bad. Don't ever say that again. Um, so I don't really know if I'm developing good or bad habits. Mm -hmm. that's a struggle. Additionally, the other big one that I've been dealing with is just not really being able to get to know too many people outside of the three other uh, full-time reps that started off in inside sales with me in June. I really don't get to meet a whole lot of people in other departments, whether it be in business development, membership service, or groups. Um, and those are the people that I could be working with, you know, five, six, seven, you know, 10 months from now. Those could be the people that are hiring me. I can't just go over to their desk and pick their brain and get feedback from them and, or really just start to, you know, know who they are and actually get to know them on a personal level. Just a way for you, if you're in this kind of situation in the future, you know, we have Zoom like this. So I just email um, people in different departments. I probably do about one a week. Um, right before this, I actually just got off the, um, I did a one-on-one -on -one with our CFO, Mike Sabotsky. Um, which is really cool. You know, it's not too often that you get someone that high up that actually takes notice to you and actually, you know, is willing to like give you their time of day. So if you, if you're in a situation where you can't really get to know too many people, just see if you can, you know, do one-on-ones with them, um, take 15 minutes out of their day and whatnot. Ways for me, just cause I haven't been able to get a lot of feedback. And also on those one-on-ones, I would see if a guy, um, his name's uh, Matt Kammeyer, he's in business development. Mm -hmm. um, I asked him if he could just send me, you know, a couple of his call recordings just so I can listen to him and see what he's like on the phone. Cause that's another big thing. Sometimes you like normally if you're in the office, you can hear other people and see you know, how are they successful? What's their approach to a certain situation? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's another, you know, negative as far as some stuff that I've been dealing with and that you might be dealing with in the future. All right. This next question is like a kind of a two parter. Um, do you feel your education prepared you for your job? And then part two is what was the learning like once you had the job? Like how long was the learning process of like getting comfortable yeah. with everything? Um, as far as trying and preparing me for this, uh, from a class standpoint, I didn't necessarily, I would say personal selling um, with Carter Schneider helped out a lot because that was really the only sales aspect that I took. Doing some of the other classes, the general classes and other potential fields kind of helped me figure out what area did I actually want to go from an actual sales standpoint. There wasn't too much that I learned in class that I've been able to take to it, but mm -hmm. it was mainly the opportunities to go to places and to network with people and just being in college and people wanting to talk to me and help me out. That was the biggest value um, of the Kettner school of business um, the connections that they had, um, mm -hmm. you know, being able to go on those trips, and essentially what I say, Professor Pod can get you to that door, but then it's up to you to decide whether or not you're going to separate yourself from everyone else and actually knock down the door. So there are so many tools you can use um, at KSB to get yourself to the door. And then now it's up to you to knock it down.
So that's my answer to the first part. Mm -hmm. uh, to that second part, um, as far as the learning curve, uh, essentially um, what Inside Sales is, it's a year long training camp to mm -hmm. see if they want to promote you into one of their uh, upper level uh, executive positions, whether it be business development, membership service groups, or entertainment sales, which is just the three amphitheaters that we have for concerts. So essentially the entire year is, is constant training. But as far as the learning curve, um, as far as what it was like, uh, the first two weeks was onboarding. Um, so, you know, the first three days was, you know, like, let's just get logged in. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's get access to all of these things. All right. Now let's just the next few days. All right. Now that we're even able to get into it now, let's figure out, let's just play around with it. You know, let's see where stuff is. This is how you navigate it. This is where you go to check this. This is where you go to check this. After that, we start really trying to figure out situations that you might be in and using the software. You know, how do you actually buy on tickets? Um, how do you actually take credit card information? Yeah. Um, what to do with it when you get the credit card information? What do you need to update in other? I mean, we, we use Salesforce, um, which is a CRM system. Um, and so, you know, how do we stay organized and stay updated and make sure we're not letting stuff slip through the cracks? Mm -hmm. um, so that was pretty much the entire first week was mainly administration type stuff. Um, just trying to get comfortable with everything. Yeah. Um, you know, just simply logging into your computer. The next week was um, a little more hands-on and actually doing a little more sales training. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first few days was mainly, you know, product knowledge. What are the seats? What are the different clubs? You know, what are the different restaurants in the venue? Why would someone sit in behind the basket as opposed to doing a club section or as opposed to doing up on the gondola, which is um, way up top, but it's mainly for groups. And then it kind of went into prospecting, you know, this, how, where do you need to look to actually um, get quality um, people that might be interested from there? We actually started doing role playing and then they handed us a hundred leads after the two weeks. Um, they weren't necessarily great leads. It was mainly just people, um, you know, let's, you know, make a hundred calls and let's just get your voicemail down um, and actually get comfortable with just leaving a voicemail. Mm -hmm. um, what's the difference between your first voicemail as opposed to your second or third voicemail um, and doing it more repetition type stuff. Um, and then we started actually, you know, eventually getting some decent leads and getting better on the phones. I would say, you know, this is October 15th from a B to C standpoint, you know, just calling Dylan and trying to figure out, you know, what might work for him. Mm -hmm. I feel very confident in doing that today. And I would say I got to that point probably mid August. Um, mm -hmm. that's when I know I actually started making some sales during COVID, which is very hard. I mean, it's kind of hard to sell someone on something that may or may not happen. So I would say mid August. So it took me probably about two and a half months to really feel comfortable selling from a B2C standpoint, um, mm -hmm. from a B2B side. Um, it's a little more difficult because some companies they're not really planning. They might have taken a financial hit. So they've been less receptive to having open conversations. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, just from in a normal setting, B2B is a longer sales process. You know, there's a small chance that I might be able to call Dylan and get him to buy something on my first call. You're probably not going to um, sell a business. So probably after four or five calls and two or three um, actually face-to-face -face meetings. And so it naturally takes longer, but then now that we're in COVID, it's actually taking even longer. So it's a lot harder to actually have those conversations. And just for me, that's where I need the most work.
and the most development for, for me. So. All right. Well, I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, what is your favorite part about sales? Like the most rewarding part that you've like come to find? Yeah. My favorite part is I love talking to people. I would say me being a bartender and server um, helped out just me getting out of my comfort zone. There's not too much of a difference between me uh, con going up to 80 tables and introducing myself as someone that's going to be taking care of them that day, as opposed to me calling 80 people and introducing myself as their personal contact moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and then it pretty, for, for me, the most rewarding thing is when I finally get that one person on the phone that's willing to give me the time of day. And just honestly, I don't even really care if they buy anything. I just want to have a good quality conversation. So for me, my, my mentality is how I currently define success. If I can have four to five just quality conversations with people. And then, you know, once we get a little more clarity on next season, you know, we can revisit, um, you know, what might actually work for you um, then. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say once for me, my why is I want to help as many people possible have a great game day experience as possible. Um, if I do that, you know, commission, bonuses, raises, promotions, that will take care of itself. That's my why. I want to create the best experience possible for people at games. So mm -hmm. for me, you know, that's my why, but I haven't really necessarily had an opportunity to have that game day experience and to be able to yeah. pull that off. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm looking forward to most and what's probably going to be the most rewarding. But just, you know, working from home, I, ne I don't necessarily have that um, capability. And typically we usually have some events uh, during the off season to uh, engage people. Um, yeah. But obviously just due to COVID, we're doing everything virtually. Yeah, I remember you when you came into class, you said that you were holding like virtual like meetings with yeah. people that would buy tickets and stuff. And that's that was also one of my questions, like how has COVID affected this whole like ticket sales? Cause I know like NFL, like they've said season ticket sales are down, like packages and everything. So I didn't know like what you've seen, how like COVID has affected like if people are more like reluctant when trying to like buy ticket packages or like how yeah. like um they're definitely more reluctant. For them, they just need more assurance um, and just more confidence in you, the person that you're not going to um, put them in a bad situation. So for us at the Pistons, we're trying to make it as advantageous for people as possible to do business with us. So A, so like when I invite people out to those you know, virtual events with Rick Mahorn or other Piston players, that's me giving them something. Those are completely free. Like I can invite you out right now and you would have zero cost to actually have a direct dialogue with a former Piston player, which is pretty cool. But now down the line, you know, we, we gave you something like that. You know, now it's, you know, like we need to start having this ticket conversation and seeing what's going to work. Now people are definitely more reluctant. I can't really talk specifics as far as, you know, like money, but I would say from a revenue standpoint, it, it's down quite a bit it was next to nothing in, you know, April, May, June, essentially what happens from a day-to-day -day standpoint, um, early March, you know, they were making 80 to hundred calls a day in inside sales. Once COVID hit, it went to nothing. Um, that's just what I heard from other reps. I wasn't around during that time. And so stuff started to pick up a little bit when I joined, um, our quota was just to make, you know, 20 calls a day. Um, the mentality was, was pretty much, you're not really trying to sell people. You're just trying to have conversations with people and just be like, Hey Dylan, you know, this is Andy with the Detroit Pistons. I just want to reach out as a personal contact and keep you updated on what next season's looking like. And then start asking questions as far as, you know, um, how many games do you typically come to, you know, where have you typically sat in the location? You know, what was your favorite thing about last season? And then start to paint a picture as far as 
um, what might work in the future. So that way you don't have to have that, ask those questions down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was June, July was pretty similar, you know, very little traction, very little interest. I would say when August hit, we bought a brand new G league team Mm -hmm. and that stirred up some interest. And I sold quite a few uh, deposits for that. Um, reason being is that it's, you know, at the time it was 14, 15 months away. Um, so people are more apt to give you 50 bucks for a deposit, um, for something that is hopefully clear of COVID, you know, 15 months from now, Mm -hmm. as opposed to giving you, you know, a thousand dollars to $1,500, um, per season tickets now for a season that may not have fans in it. And Mm -hmm. so I, we gained a lot of traction with that. Our goal was to have, I believe 500 deposits for season tickets for the new team. We're at probably a little over 200 right now, which is Mm -hmm. still quite a bit. Yeah. Um, with being a year out from the team even starting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we launched our 10 game plans. From what we saw from there, we had some you know, people that were maybe on season tickets that didn't necessarily want that financial commitment to something that may or may not be able to go to. So some people actually downgraded to a 10 game plan. Some people just renewed or some people rolled over. And so we actually gained quite a bit of traction with 10 game plans. People were a little open more towards, you know, a minimal investment as opposed to a whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually generated probably $80,000 um, in mini plans. So now stuff has definitely kind of picked up a little bit now that we have a little more clarity on next season. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing right now. So how do we make it advantageous for people uh, when I call them and, you know, why should they do their money now? Well, if they wait till January or February when the season's going to start, um, they're going to need to do all their money right now. They're not going to, it's not going to be any payments. It's going to have to be paid in full. So right now we have more runway than we would if you keep waiting. Additionally, three things are going to, one of three things are going to happen. Either A, you're going to go to games and you're going to have a great time. B, you're going to get all your money back because COVID affected something and, you know, there's not really going to be any questions asked. Um, outside of seeing if you want to roll over. Um, and either A, you're going to call me to do that, or what's more than likely, as soon as we get that information, I'm going to call you to figure out you know, what the next steps are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then additionally, if they want, they can roll over for a 20% credit, which has been industry standard, what I believe um, across the NBA. I don't, there's not a single team offering a 20% credit. So if you have $1,000 with us, you roll it over into 2122, we're going to give you $200 to use towards tickets. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of us and you're going to come to games next year anyways, you might as well roll over because you're going to get more money and might be able to get into a, a section that you yep. may not have been able to otherwise. So those um, we're definitely gaining a lot more traction now um, that we're getting into uh, November. So yeah, October, November. All right. And then my last question for you is, do you see yourself uh, staying in sales for a while or do you plan on like going into something like using it to open the doorway to yeah. like some higher up or like what what do you plan yeah. on doing? and inside sales one of four things happens either a you're horrible and they, or they don't like you and you're out of a job after a year you find out that maybe sales isn't necessarily for you so maybe you try and transfer into a different department or you know the inside sales manager will help you latch on to in a different industry with some of their connections the two scenarios that I want, um, the first one being, you know, get promoted into an account executive position. I want to stay in sales. So to answer your question, for me, I just think it fits my personality the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily cer- certain what department I want to go into. 
Um, but that's the scenario that you want the most. You want to be promoted into um, an account executive position with the team. So I want to stay with the Pistons. Um, then I would say the second best scenario is, you know, maybe Brandon edges me out for the account executive position of business development. Um, but they still love me. They love my work ethic. But they just don't necessarily have enough openings um, available. So they're going to help me latch on, use their connections to get me into another organization with another team. Some other uh, a guy recently, um, right before I got here, actually joined the Dodgers. Um, another person joined, I believe, the Reds. And a third person joined, I believe, the Cavs, I believe. Um, so it, it's definitely uh, an option to actually, even if you don't get promoted, like there are other opportunities with other teams. All right, well, that's all I have for you. So thank you for taking your time out of your day to talk with me. And uh, I really feel like I got more insight of what it's like and mm -hmm. the bright sides of sales and also like due to COVID, this stuff, the downsides. So I appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk to me. So thank you. Appreciate it. Always here to help. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. The Center for Sports Studies podcast is taking a break during the holidays, but we will return on January 22nd featuring an interview with John Maxwell leadership coach, Jamie Belcher. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.